Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus and what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. All right, we're going to do a little bit of an old-fashioned Bible study together. I haven't done this in a while, so I want you to keep your bulletins out. And we're just going to go through this line by line and pick it apart a little bit. So I want you staring at those words. And it starts with, The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him, Jesus, in what he said. So what did he say? Well, what he said was what we've been reading the last three Sundays. There were these three little parables he gave back to back. The first one, he tells a story about two sons, and one of them immediately says to the dad, yes, I'll do what you want, but he doesn't get around to doing it. And the second son said, no, dad, forget it, but then eventually goes and does what the father asked. And he compares the Pharisees and, and his detractors to that first son who never got around to doing what he had promised. And then he tells a story, uh, another story, and then he goes on, and last week he told a story about a big banquet, and he basically said that his detractors were like people who were invited to a king's banquet and didn't bother to, sh to turn up for the invitations. So the, and then when the king sent out the messenger to remind them of the invitation, say, it's all ready, the party's ready, the food's laid out, well, they killed the messengers. So anyway, they're not real happy with him at this point. They're insulted. So it says that the Pharisees, they, the Pharisees, sent their disciples, which means their students, to him, to Jesus, along with the Herodians. So imperial strategy in Rome is to divide and conquer. And they're really good at it, and it pretty much always works. And these divisions between the Herodians and the Pharisees are part of this division. So there's the pro-Roman Herodians, and they are the people who have embraced Roman economy and Roman culture, and they're fairly prosperous, and they tend to be powerful because Romans have appointed them to positions of authority because of their loyalty. And then there are, and they're just seen as traitors, awful traitors, 
by the rest of the Jewish people. And then there are the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, they're the holiness police. And uh, they're really strict adherents of Jewish law. They're trying to get it perfect. They're trying to get everything exactly right, and it makes them kind of obnoxious. And they happen to be very resentful of the Roman occupation. They detest everything to do with Rome and the Romans and the influences of the Roman culture on their people. And this is a view that's shared by most of the poor who really are chafing under the Roman occupation. So most of Jesus' followers would share the sentiments more of the Pharisees in not liking the taxes or the Romans. Now the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're enemies. But at this point, they dislike Jesus more than they dislike one another. So we might say they're in cahoots. They are trying to publicly discredit Jesus in this debate and they would really love it if they could entrap him into saying something that would get him in trouble with the Romans and then get him completely out of their way. You know, he'd be arrested, killed, whatever, they didn't care, they just wanted him gone. So the students of the Pharisees and some Herodians come to Jesus saying, and you'll see this, teacher, we know that you're sincere and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and you show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Now they're laying it on pretty thick. Uncharacteristically complimentary. These are not people that Jesus is used to hearing high praise from, but you know, it's all part of the trap. And then they ask it, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? Or not as though there were a choice see all people under Roman rule are required to pay taxes and those who are not citizens of Rome but are under the occupation of Rome pay the highest taxes of all that's what we call colonization and the tax referred to as the census tax which is was enacted in upon Judea in six year six of this common era and it's charged by the head. Every, they take a census of all the people and everybody owes a tax. And so the question sets Jesus up. He either has to choose, he has to choose between Jewish law, which prohibits taxes, and Roman law, which requires them. Are you loyal to God or are you loyal to the emperor? Which is correct? If he says paying taxes is lawful, uh, then he's going to offend his disciples who are mostly the poor and who are feeling crushed, crushed by the weight of taxation and by the whole Roman occupation, which is just awful. I mean, you know, imagine living under some foreign power government that you don't agree with who's moved into your home and has turned everything upside down and made your lives miserable. So he either has to offend them or if he says paying taxes is unlawful, well then he can be arrested by the Romans for treason and he would be encouraging his followers to do something that could get them all killed. So it's a lose-lose question all the way around. Now people try to trap us all the time. They do. Into choosing between two positions, right? On an issue that has been conveniently 
oversimplified all the time. They tell us we have to go with this or with that to the exclusion of all the other options that might be out there. So rather than living in the complexity of the gray zone, they force an issue. Are you for Israel or are you for terrorists? Are you for government spending or are you for fiscal responsibility? This is the way the game gets played. When we're young children, our brains function in black and white, right? But by our early teens, they tell us we have developed the capacity for more complex reasoning and that that's a sign of maturity in life, to be able to look at something from different points of view and perceive the interconnectedness of seemingly unrelated things. The trap, the snare though, is to abandon our higher reasoning and revert to simplistic thinking, that black and white thinking, to be like children and let other people dictate our options to us. Do you want to wear the red coat this morning or the blue one? Are you a patriot, meaning you agree with my position, or are you a traitor, meaning you don't? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But we don't have to play that game. Jesus didn't play that game. It's not paying taxes versus giving to God. It's doing both things at the same time and figuring out where we individually have to draw the line. So it says, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they bring him a denarius. Now, when this encounter takes place, they're in the temple, the Jewish temple, in the courtyards there where only Jewish coinage is allowed. No Roman coins are supposed to be in this place because the Jewish people are forbidden by God to make a graven image. And all the Roman coins bear a human being's face, but Jewish coins do not. And the Pharisees, who are the holiness police, have the coins of idolatry in their pockets. Evidence that they too, like it or not, are forced to participate in the Roman economy. So the coin is a denarius, which is used to pay the census tax. That's the amount of the tax. It is also a daily wage for most laborers. And the coin bears the image of the emperor, called the Caesar, but Caesar wasn't somebody's name, it was a title, like president. So the, the coin bears the image of the Caesar with this inscription, Tiberius Caesar August. August means deserving of worship. Son of the divine Augustus, which is son of God, on one side, and then on the other side of the coin, the words Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. And both of these are blasphemous claims in the eyes of Jews and Christians. So then, in your text, Jesus said to them, whose head is this and whose title? And they answered the emperors. And then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperors. It's the emperor that mints the coins. And to God, the things that are God's. So the beauty of Jesus' answer is that he both concedes payment of taxes while at the same time subverting the reach of the emperor. 
he is saying God, he is reasserting God's ownership and rule over all things. He breaks the trap by putting us back in the gray zone of moral complexity. We have to live in this world, and that includes paying taxes, whether we agree with the government's policies or not. And at the same time, we don't get to separate out and say what concerns God versus what concerns the state. It all concerns God, Jesus is saying. Give to the country or the employer or the family what is their due, but your life and being are ultimately God's. Now, we are made in the image and likeness of God. We are told that God's likeness is imprinted on us in creation. And therefore, we belong to God in the same way that denarius belongs to the emperor. And the whole of our lives and our very being is to be given to God, just as the coin gets given to the emperor. He is calling us to live in wholehearted allegiance to God and at the same time navigate all the complexities and contexts in our lives that pull us away from that allegiance. We have to do both. It's part of being an adult. It's not simplistic. There are no easy answers. We have to do our own research. We have to look at things in the light of the vision of life that, God, that Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven and then draw the line where our conscience leads us to. And we all have to do that for our own self. I think that means we can also respect other people who are trying to do that, whether we agree with their views, the position they take or not. Like... Colin Kaepernick, that NFL quarterback who back in 2016 decided he was going to kneel during the national anthem before the start of a football game as a way of protesting the injustices that he was seeing in his country. And people got inflamed and said, oh my gosh, he's disrespecting the flag, he's not a patriot. But in his eyes, it wasn't a, an attempt to disrespect the flag. He wasn't dragging it in the street. He didn't burn it. He knelt. We kneel before emperors. We kneel before God. But he said in his mind, it was like flying the flag at half-mast in acknowledgement of a tragedy. In the same way, we see this moral wrestling that Jesus calls us to, I think, in Josh Paul's recent resignation. He served for years as the Director of Congressional and Public Affairs in the U.S. Bureaus of Political and Military Affairs. A long-winded title. He's the one that sends armaments to countries that are our allies. He decided that he had come to the point, he said, where he could no longer say that the harm he might do could be outweighed by the good he could do in his job. That the harm he might do would be outweighed by the good he could do. That was his own personal discernment, his own moral quandary. He drew the line from him, for himself, and he resigned. We each have to do our own moral deliberating and draw those lines, Jesus says. Martin Luther in the 16th century, how he does this, he says fairness. It's all about fairness and reasonableness and balance and common sense and love. He advised a prince in his day, 
and said the prince had to punish evildoers appropriately, which in Luther's colorful language was that the prince should be careful not to keep the soup spoon from dripping by spilling the entire bowl. In other words, you weren't supposed to punish injustice in such a way that it caused even greater harm. And he said, wherever you judge according to love, you will very easily determine everything and make judgments without any law books at all. That just conscience and love can guide us. And then he counseled soldiers who in his day came to Martin Luther, who was a priest and theologian, and, and they were feeling they were having to fight in an unjust war that they didn't believe in, that their country had gotten them into. And Luther said to, the, to the, the fighters, but also to the government, that the de determination of what war was just or unjust should be not under the purview of religious leaders like himself, but the soldiers. The soldiers who had to fight it should be the ones who determined that. World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Lutheran pastor in Germany during the, during the Reich spoke out against the actions of Hitler and his government. He was a wanted man. He came to the United States. His colleagues brought him over here, helped him escape. He was here and deliberating and watching what was going on in his homeland and the evil that he saw taking place there. And even though we had offered him a safe place to live for the rest of his life, Bonhoeffer chose to go back to Germany and, and to fight what he thought was, was against God's will in this world. He went back, he opposed the forces of evil by participating in a failed assass assassination attempt on Hitler, which caused him to be arrested and to ultimately be uh, executed in a concentration camp. There is no this or that always right, always wrong. It's just harder and more complicated than that. But we're grown-ups, and we're made in God's image, and we are forgiven and freed by Jesus to make and act on our own best moral guess in any given moment. So Jesus asks, whose face is on the coin? And they say Tiberius Caesar's. Yes, but the image of God is stamped on you from the beginning of time, that icon, the image of God. And imagine how powerfully the Holy Spirit can work with us and through us when we do not separate ourselves from that image. We will give Caesar what is his, but nothing more. And we will give God what is God's, and that is everything. And when they heard this, they were amazed, stunned done. And they left him and went away. Amen.